Lord Jesus, we come before you this Sunday and we open up your words. I pray that you would speak to each and every single one of us. I pray that we would hear your voice, God, and that we would not leave this place unchanged, unmoved by you, God, by your living and abiding word. Lord, we thank you. We pray this all by faith in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may grab a seat. I want you to I want you to imagine, you know, you after church, you go, you know, let's say to a restaurant or someone's house and you're sitting there and you're having a meal with them, right? And all of a sudden you look at, you know, the dish across the table and it was really good and you want to have another portion of it, right? What do you do when you want someone to hand you that plate of food? Very simple. It's a one word, uh, one word answer. You ask, right? Amen. You ask. That's it. Well, apparently, apparently, you think like everybody knows that, right? That's very simple. Apparently, we actually didn't know that when we were born, right? Raising kids is very interesting because, you know, kids, when they want something, they don't ask initially, right? They need to be taught how to ask. They just start whining, right? You know, they just start whining. You're like, hey, 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 don't whine. You have to ask. You have to say please. You have to use a certain tone of voice, right? All of those things are actually learned behaviors. And a lot of times we learn by observing, right? By looking at how other people do it. Well, in a sense, we too are like spiritual children. And what we're going to do today is we're going to look at how Jesus prayed. And we're going to learn from Jesus the way that he prayed, the order that he prayed in. Now, we have in the Gospels eight recorded prayers of Jesus, eight of them, and today we're going to be looking at just one of them, but hopefully we can walk away learning something about the way that God the Son, the human Son, spoke to his Father, to his God in his prayer. So we're going to be looking at Mark 14, verse 36. And just for context of where this prayer is going on in the life of Jesus, Jesus has lived his whole life. He's probably 33 years old. He is in, he's finished his ministry. He is in the Garden of Gethsemane near Jerusalem, and he knows he's about to be taken away and crucified. Jesus knows not just he's going to go through this physical death. He is going to experience the wrath of God for God's people. Jesus understands that he is about to have the most difficult human experience ever experienced or will ever be experienced. He understands literally the weight of the world is upon him. So he is greatly distressed. And so he comes to the Father, and we read in Mark 14, 36, if we can get the verses on the screen, he said, Abba, Father, All things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And then we read in verse 39, and again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. So let's break down his prayer and see what we can learn as his little siblings, right, as children of God, of what we can learn about the way the Son of God prayed so we can imitate him. First of all, we see that he starts with, Abba, Father. He calls him Abba, Father. Abba in Aramaic means Papa, Daddy, Dad, right? It's this close relationship to your father. And it demonstrates the closeness that was between Jesus 
and the Father. He starts in his prayer with his relationship with God, who God is to him personally. And Jesus has a close relationship. And having that close relationship with the Father Church is a prerequisite to even being able to pray to God like Jesus prayed. You see, before God saved me, I could tell you a lot of right things about God. I grew up in church, right? From the very beginning, I could tell you all the right answers to all the Sunday school questions, all the stories of who did what and why. I could tell you that God was all good and all powerful and all just and all seeing and all loving and he sent his son and he's gonna come back for us. I could tell you all of those things, but I did not yet know who God was. I knew about God but I didn't know God, who he really is personally, face to face. And only after he had saved me, only then did I realize I never had a relationship with him. I knew about God, but I didn't know him personally. I've given this analogy before, but before for me it was like looking at somebody 300 feet away, right? You can say a lot of accurate things about this person. They're tall, they're not tall, right? They're short, they're skinny, they're wearing a blue jacket, they've got a hat, they've got yellow shoes. You could say a lot of accurate things about that person. But until you see them face to face, until you've looked in their eyes, you don't know who they really actually are. And the day that God saved me is the day you could say that I saw God's face. I looked him in the eyes and he looked me in the eyes and I knew him. I was not able to just say many right things about God. I could say with certainty that I now knew the Father, and that He knew me personally. The first step, the very first step to being able to pray like Jesus prayed is to have a personal and close relationship with God. Not just a relationship that's based on facts that we have stored up from the Bible in our head, right? But one where you have seen God, where God has seen you, you have been known by God. In fact, Galatians 4, 9 says, but now that you have come to know God, and then Paul, Paul doesn't correct himself, but rephrases, or rather, to be known by God, right? It, a relationship is a two-way street. It's not just me knowing about God, but him not knowing me. It's him knowing me as well, right? You could say, I know the president, but does the president know you, Right? Without relationship with God, the rest of the prayer is not possible. And church, it is not enough to just call him Lord, Lord. Yeah, Jesus is Lord, right? Jesus is Lord. That's not enough. Jesus talks about a group of people that are going to come before him and say, Lord, Lord, we cast out demons in your name, right? We prophesied in your name. We did a great works for your name and in your name. And you know what he's going to respond with? Matthew 7, 23. Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. He's saying, I don't have a relationship with you. I have no clue who you are. Of course, God knows who everyone is, but he's saying, I don't have a relationship with you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. We must know and we must be known. Jesus says in, 10, in John 10, 14, he says, I am the good shepherd. 
I know my own and my own, they know me. Church, my goal is not to make believers doubt whether they know God or not. My goal is to make the people sitting here who think it's enough to simply have some kind of facts in your head, to believe some kind of facts in your head about God, to maybe even do some great works for God, that that is enough, it's not enough. It is far from enough. We must first know God and be known by him. And if you don't know him, if you're listening to this and you're confused, you're like, I don't understand what you're talking about. If you don't understand, then let that be your one and only prayer for the rest of your life until he answers it. Luke 11, verse 9, Jesus says, And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you for Everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Now, Jesus isn't just talking about asking for blessings from God. Jesus isn't talking about, you know, some kind of, oh, here, you can get any of your wishes granted. Specifically, what he was talking about is in verse 13. He says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the who holy spirit to those who ask if you don't have the holy spirit if you don't have salvation if you have not looked god in the eyes and you don't know him he doesn't know you let that be your only prayer in fact jesus urges people to pray and he urges by giving us a promise he says if you ask you will receive if you seek you will find if you knock it will be opened That's a promise from the creator. So ask, so knock, so seek. And when we receive the Holy Spirit, then we are saved. Are we not? We will have that relationship with God, that connection with God. And then Romans 8.15 will be true in our lives. It says, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. When we receive the Spirit, we will pray like Jesus, right? The same exact words, Abba, Father. The same words Jesus prayed there in Gethsemane. And the Spirit will testify or bear witness to our spirit and with our spirit that we now, I'm a child of God and I know God and I know who my Abba is. I can't deny it. And I know that I am known by him. And so as we come to God, let us come to him as our father, as our Abba, as our Papa. Not as some genie in a bottle who's there to just satisfy all of our desires. Not just as judge who's ready to strike us down or come to someone who's just cold and distant and doesn't care about us, but we come to him as dad, as our loving father. So, Abba, Father, that's the beginning of his prayer. And then he goes on to say, all things are possible for you. 
The next thing that Jesus does is he declares who God is. Not to me personally, he's already stated that, but in general, who is God? And here, Jesus highlights the power of God. We see Jesus remembering or praying out loud the attribute of God that is going to relate to the thing he's going to ask about in just a second. Right? So Jesus is... in his prayer, stating or declaring something about God that relates to the thing he's about to ask about. And you know what's interesting is that we so often, I notice this by myself, about myself, we, do, we jump into prayer just asking God for things right away without even recalling who God is. Of course, we know all these things. Of course, Jesus knew all things were possible to the Father. He didn't have to state that. He wasn't reminding the Father of something new. He was reminding himself that no, 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 he is all-powerful, that all things are possible. As we come to the Father in our prayers, church, let us remember the attributes of God, who God is. Let us start with that. I'm not saying this is not the only one way to pray. This is a way to pray that Jesus demonstrates to us. But let us remember in our prayers who God is. Let us remember his power, for example. Let us remember that he's upholding this entire universe by just one word, church. One word, that's all he's using. The word of his power, Hebrews 1 talks about that all the stars, all the black holes and planets and galaxies with the billions and trillions of stars and all molecules and people and oceans and mountains, everything is being held together by just a word. One word. Let us remember his power that at the end of the day, every knee will bow before him, that no one can stop his good plan. Let us remember that in the end, even his enemies will serve his plan. When we pray, let us not also just remember his power, but let us remember his love, that he did not spare his own son. Church, he did not spare his own son. He gave away the one who was most precious to him. That's the whole gospel. The sacrifice of God while we were still yet sinners, the word of God says. While we did not love him, he loved us. And he gave him up for us. As we pray, let us remember his care. Matthew 6, Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. They're so small. There's so many of them. And yet the Father every day is providing for every one of those birds. And guess what? God isn't caring just for the birds. He's caring for every ant and every bee and every human being. He's caring for all of us. We're all his creation, no matter how big or how small. Every day God is giving us bread and food and water and the sun is rising and the sun sets. That's the care of God. And God is protecting us and this world every day from the billion things that could go wrong every single day. Church, every heartbeat Every breath, it's a gift from him because he cares. 
let us remember his care as we, as we come before him in prayer. Let us remember his wisdom, that he knows the beginning to the end, that he sees it all. He knows how connected everything is. He sees the smallest connections from this side of history and that side of the world to this side of history and that side of the world. He sees all of it. In fact, God, do you realize God never needs to remember anything? You know why? Because he can hold it all in his mind simultaneously. He sees the beginning to the very end, and he understands and comprehends all the connections between all things and how everything is overlapped, and he sees and knows it all at the same time. No wonder the Word of God says in Romans eleven thirty three, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Inscrutable means you can't untangle it. You can't unravel it. You can never fully get to the bottom of his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Answer, no one. Or who has given him a gift to, that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. As we pray, let us remember God's goodness. That there is no evil in him whatsoever. Not a spot. In his infinite heart you will never find even a single speck of evil. He has never had a bad intention in his whole infinite existence. He only does good to people. His goodness is immeasurable. He has not treated us according to our sins, according to what we deserve, what every single, each of us, me, what I deserve. He has not treated me that way. Every day he gives us breath and water and food and sleep and friends and family and work and a roof over our head. Every day he just gives good after good after good after good. When we pray, we must remember that he is the source of all that is good. And let us also remember that only he knows what's truly good, what's actually good for me. Only he knows, and let us remember that no matter where he leads us, it will ultimately be good for me. You know why we can know that? You know why we can have that assurance? Because Romans 8.32 says that if God did not withhold Jesus Christ, the one who is most precious to him, then how will he not also with him give us all things? How will he not also with him give us everything else? Nothing else means anything. He's already paid the greatest price there is to pay. That Everything else is just pennies. And how will he not give us the pennies that we need in this life? He will only give us what is ultimately good. As we pray, church, let us remember God's joy. Let us remember that God is not just sitting up there as old kind of gray man looking at us with this grumpy face of just disapproval upon everything we do. But let us remember that God is the one who has created this idea of happiness. 
God was the first one to smile, and God is always smiling. God is the happiest being that has ever existed. Let's remember that, remember when Jesus was baptized, God said, in him I am well pleased. And if we are in Christ, then Christ, then God the Father is well pleased with us as well. That's the gospel. We who are sinners could never please God with our own actions, our own good deeds. Now God is well pleased in us because by faith we are in Christ. We are the body of Christ. As we pray, church, let us remember God's providence in the past. Psalm 77 verse 11 says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. All the mighty things that God has done on the pages of Scripture all the amazing ways that he has saved and rescued people in the past, whether it was Noah or Israel out of Egypt or Israel from all their enemies, God has done many miraculous works that are worth remembering. Let us remember all the miracles and all the goodness he has done in my life. I'm sure all of us have something that God has done in all of our lives. All the amazing ways he's provided in the past for me. The ways he's protected me, blessed me, saved me, led me, convicted me, spoke to me, gave me peace. It's amazing. As we pray, let us also remember God's promises for the future. God's word full of promises. You know why? Because God loves making promises. He doesn't begrudge it. He loves it. He loves making promises, and then he loves keeping those promises because our God is a faithful God. Amen, church? Amen. And he has promised. He has promised to give us rest. He has promised to answer our prayers. He has promised to be with us. He has promised to take care of us. And ultimately, he has promised to take us to be with him home forever. So as we pray, as we come to him, let us remember, let us proclaim and declare the promises of God and all the attributes of God that the Spirit puts on our heart as we pray. So Jesus starts with Abba Father, his relationship with God personal relationship. Then he declares God's power. He declares who God is in general, his attributes. And then we see he prays saying, remove this cup from me. So it's interesting, this remove this cup from me, it means this cup of wrath, right? This cup of judgment, this, this fate I'm about to have. He's saying, I don't want it. I don't want it, right? So it's interesting because after Jesus has declared God's unlimited power, Jesus, we see Jesus plainly stating his desire before God. This is very interesting. We're going to look into this. Psalm 62 verse 8 says, trust in him at all times. O people, pour out your heart before him. God loves it when we come before him and we pour out our hearts fully. This image of pouring out is very interesting. He's not saying splash out a little bit of your heart to God. No, he's saying pour it out. Everything that your heart is full of, 
pour it out. And our hearts, they get full, don't they? They get full of worries and problems and thoughts about the future. Maybe they're even full of sins. And whatever it is that overflows in our heart, we're called to pour it out all to God. Don't hold anything back. Present it all to God. We see that Jesus is honest before the Father. Notice he doesn't hint at what he kind of wants. He just says it plainly. He says, remove this cup. I don't want to suffer. I don't want to die. I don't want to go through this right now. He was honest. He was open. Psalm 51 verse 6 says, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. Church, we are called to be honest before God. We are called to be honest with our own selves. God already knows everything that we feel in our hearts. God will never be surprised by anything that we pour our hearts out to him about. God will never be surprised by our confessions to him. He has realized and understood it long before even I realized or understood what's going on in my heart. All he wants is for us to be honest and open before him. When's the last time that you have had an honest conversation with God? When's the last time you've spoken, actually said the things that are in your heart to God when you poured it out to him? And you know what's fascinating is Jesus already knew what the will of God was. He knew. And yet, he still asked for what he wanted, humanly speaking. He didn't want to die. He still asked for that. That that is fascinating if you think about it. It shows that it's healthy and it's good for us to make our desires known to God, even if in the back of my mind I'm like, I don't know if that's God's will. It's healthy to still state our desires before him. Why? Because when we pour our hearts out to God, no matter what's in them, It helps us understand that he understands me. He's heard me. He's seen what's going on in me. Right? Like, you could argue, well, God knows all things, so why even pray? Right? You could argue that. But but the Bible makes it very clear. No, you need to pray. And not only do you need to pray, but you need to pour out your heart to him. You need to be honest with him. So that's what we're called to do, to be fully open to him. Yes, he knows everything that's in our heart, but there's something, there's something powerful about us stating it because then we understand that I've been heard, that God has heard me. God understands what is happening in the depths of my heart. And also, I want to add to this, Jesus never sinned. He had never had anything to confess, but we are called to confess our sins. And until we honestly confess our sins, before God exactly how they are, not holding back some percentage of it, we can't move forward in our prayers. We can't move forward in our spiritual growth, right? There's going to be an elephant in the room, and we're going to be trying to dance around that elephant. If I failed third grade math, and I go on to fourth grade math, it's not going to make sense, right? And then I go to fifth grade math, and it's still not going to make sense until I go back to third grade math and I get it right. It's the same thing in our spiritual walks. 
until we confess fully, until we bring it all before God and we deal with it with God, we cannot move forward in our prayers. Maybe there's something that's hindering in you in your prayers. Confess it to God. Deal with it with God. Don't run around the elephant in the room. Brothers and sisters, let us be honest before God in our prayers as we pour it out. He already knows everything. We're not going to surprise him. And even if those desires, we think it's not according to the will of God, pour it out. That's what the word of God says. And lastly, we see Jesus saying, yet not what I will, but what you will. You see, after starting with his relationship with God, Abba Father, declaring God's power, and then making known his desires to the Father, Jesus turns around and surrenders everything to God. Now, it's important to understand, we as Christians, based on the Bible, and we don't have time to dig into this, we believe that Jesus had two wills. He had a fully human will, 100% fully human, and he had a 100% God's will. What we see him praying here in the garden is his human will. He did not, humanly speaking, want to suffer. Now, that's a deeper question. If you want to talk more about that, I'm happy to have that conversation with you. But for the sake of this message, just you got to realize Jesus had a fully human will, just like us. And humanly speaking, he did not want to suffer, and yet he surrendered all to God. You see, it's important in our prayers to pour out our hearts to God. It's important to state um, all of God's attributes. It's important to start with our relationship, but we have to, have to, have to. At the end of the day, at the end of our prayer, we have to be able to surrender our will before God. All of our desires, all of our fears, all of our hopes, to lay it all at his feet. That's the last step. In other words, we need to be ready to accept whatever outcome the Lord might send our way, right? Whatever it is. You see, it's easy to pray when everything's going great, right? It's easy to praise God when life feels as smooth as butter. But one of the main purposes of prayer is for to ready our hearts to accept God's will no matter where it might take us. Yes, prayer moves the hand of God. Yes, God does hear our prayers. God responds to our prayers. Yes, prayer can even move mountains. It does all of those things, and we are told to ask. But what prayer also does is prayer aligns our will with God's will. And that's exactly what we see happening in Gethsemane that night. It can be very difficult to align our will with God's will, can it not? And we see it was hard for Jesus. He was sweating blood. Literally, he was just experiencing the most awful kind of stress. I'm sure that we, had we experienced that, we just would have died. Like our body wouldn't have even been able to handle the stress he was experiencing. And we see that he actually prayed like this three times. Three times he comes to his disciples, they're sleeping. He goes back and prays. 
comes, sees them sleeping, goes back and prays. We read that in verse 39. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. If we are to pray like Jesus, we should continue in prayer until we have finally surrendered our will before God. It took Jesus three times of prayer, and who knows how long he was praying. Might have been 10 minutes, might have been 15, might have been an hour each time, but he kept praying until he finally surrendered his human will to the will of God. And you know what's interesting is if you've recently read the Sermon on the Mount, you might think, well, isn't that, a, isn't that a contradiction with Jesus going and praying three times? Isn't that a contradiction to what he taught in the Sermon on the Mount? Matthew 6, 7, Jesus says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty pr- phrases like the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So it appears that Jesus is saying, don't use a lot of words. Like, be very concise and to the point when you pray, right? That's what it seems like he's saying. And then we see Jesus in Gethsemane just repeating the same words three times at least, right? At least three times. What Jesus is teaching in Matthew 6, he's saying the problem with the Gentiles is not that they used many words or repeated their prayers. It's that they thought they would be heard because of their many words. They thought that they could manipulate God. They thought they were treating God as if he's some math formula, right? If I ask him seven times on the seventh time, he will answer me, right? And Or ATM machine. You click the right buttons in the right order, and you're going to hack it, and it's going to give you all the cash, right? That's the way. There was no relationship there. It was just a formula. You just got to give me what I need, and I got to say the magic words in the magic order but when Jesus was praying the same words over and over he wasn't praying to manipulate God but he was praying because his heart was troubled and he was and pouring out his heart to God gave him strength it helped him surrender his will to God and it strengthened him to do what God wanted him to do Church, I'm sure that oftentimes we get off our knees way too quickly. Do we not? Well, I ask God, I've stated, I've phrased my request, and if he hears me, he hears me. May God bless us and help us to keep going in our prayers until we've surrendered fully or until he's answered our prayers Because truly God's will is better than our will, is it not? Jesus surrendered his will. Jesus did not want to die, and yet he died. Jesus did not end up keeping his life. He lost it. Jesus laid down his human will so that through him, God can do the unimaginable. Right? Through him, God did something he could never accomplish had he never died. You see, Jesus could have stayed alive. Jesus was smart enough and powerful enough. He could have easily overthrown the rulers in Jerusalem. He could have started his own kingdom, which is what the Maccabeans did a couple of hundred years right before him. And they actually had a kingdom that was as strong and as big 
as the kingdom of Solomon. Did you know that? So it was very easy, and everyone was expecting that to happen, right? They wanted that. He could have easily overthrown the rulers in Jerusalem. He could have easily built alliances, marched on Rome, take over the empire, ruled the whole world. And yet all of that does not even come nearly close to what God accomplished through Jesus on the cross. What seemed like just a painful waste in the eyes of man actually created the path to a glorious salvation for all people. Only through his death our sins are forgiven. Only through his death do we receive eternal life. And Jesus in his humanity did not want to die, but he surrendered And anyone who trusts in Jesus today, you can have that eternal life that he purchased for me and for you. Trust in him. Come to him. Repent of your sins. Turn around. Stop living in your sin and follow him and he will lead you. And for those of us that have trusted in him, for those of us that have come to know him, that have looked him in the eyes and say, Lord, I know you, I love you, and I know that you love me too because I have the spirit of adoption bearing witness in my heart. Let us be in awe of his saving work for us there on the cross. Let us rest in his salvation that he earned for us and let us imitate his example in his prayers and how he surrendered to the Father. So may God help us all. Amen. Let's stand right now. We're going to have a minute of quiet prayer. Ponder on what God has done for you. how Jesus is our example, laying his will down for the good of the many in obedience to the Father. Lord Jesus, we're in awe of all that you've done. Lord, we worship you. We magnify you. We make much of you, God. And I pray that we would imitate you, that we would seek you, that we would follow you all the days of our life. And I know that you can do something so much greater through us, through your will and not our wills. Please help us, Lord. Help us pray like you, have a relationship with the Father like you, declaring and remembering all of the goodness of God. And Lord, if anyone has not yet come to know you, I pray you save them. You gave them real faith, God, one that trusts in you, that runs after you. Lord, we thank you, and we pray this all in your name. Amen.